welcome to In the Shadow of the Evening Trees. I was just thinking about this. I think we're on episode 10. We are on episode 10. My name is David Von Ebers. And I'm Jennifer Von Ebers. So that's pretty exciting. We didn't we didn't um, uh, plan any kind of like celebration for our 10th episode. We don't have any champagne. We don't have any champagne. There are no streamers or balloons. <laughs> well, we have our everyday balloons. That's true. Uh, sadly, we are old people, so we make a lot of Seinfeld jokes. So if <laughs> get you, used to it. If, yeah, so get used to it. <laughs> uh, but so that's very exciting. So 10 episodes in the can, as yes. they say. Um, Getting better each one. Get Well, we think so. <laughs> <laughs> we think so. We have some new um, opening music which isn't really new opening music. It's actually old opening music. That new we, to you. It's new to you, unless you've listened to our videos on YouTube. Not on YouTube. Well, there are, they are on YouTube. Yeah. But they're also on our Instagram. Yes. We have a joint Instagram called at Jen, J-E-N-N underscore and underscore Dave. Yes. And we post videos there, and this music, uh, the music we added for our intro today, actually comes from that. I like it a little better. Um, I wrote that some time ago. It's very short, obviously, but I wrote that some time ago for our video series, and I just decided I like it better than what we've been using. So. And we get to decide what goes on there. So. Yeah. <laughs> it's uh, copyright 2022. There you go. Dave Von Ebers <laughs> Music LLC. No, I'm just making all that up. <laughs> But I, it is an original. It's an original composition. It is a, an original composition. Um, but so that's fun. So that's to celebrate our our tenth uh, episode. I that guess. is amazing. And uh, so I actually, unlike our normal sort of free form, just ramble on, not the Led Zeppelin song "Ramble On," but we have we just ramble on what I like to call stream of conversation. Yes. Uh, instead of taking that approach this time, I actually have some like some ideas on an the outline kind of an outline um but as as you know our um our description uh, says uh, this is uh, an lgbtq plus friendly podcast we like to talk about issues relating to that community um and one interesting thing i i had thought about talking about this for some time now and then actually something happened today that was news to me that was sort of good news on, on this front. So uh, before I uh, get ahead of myself, let me just explain what I'm talking about. The first thing on the docket, so to speak, is that uh, there is a local attorney in the Chicago area by the name of Cheryl Ring, uh, who I followed on Twitter for some time. Um, she's trans, uh, which is great, awesome, very cool. Uh, but she has been battling with the Illinois Registration Attorney Registration and Disciplinary Commission, we call it the ARDC, for some time over a really interesting uh, topic. And I'd like to chat about that today and, and then also found out that today there was a new development in that. So the ARDC, if you don't know, is a commission formed by the Illinois Supreme Court to basically license and regulate attorneys. So they, you know, they set out the application process. If you're uh, applying to join the bar, they set the standards for admission. They also um, administer our licenses. So every year we have to, you know, renew our license with the ARDC. 
And they also are in charge of enforcing the Illinois Rules of Professional Conduct, which are the rules adopted by the Illinois Supreme Court to regulate attorney ethics. And one of the rules, um, it's if you want to know the specific citation, it's um, Rule 8.4, which my computer will not let me pull up, but it is the rule of professional conduct that relates to uh, misconduct by attorneys. And one of the things that that rule provides is that if a lawyer uh, engages in discrimination on, on the basis of things like race, sex, national origin, sexual orientation, a variety of similar protected categories, if they violate federal, state, or local law by engaging in that type of discrimination, that they are, uh, that that reflects poorly on their fitness to be an attorney. And if they actually are found to have violated a state, federal, or local law barring discrimination, they can be subject to being disciplined by the ARDC um, along with, you know, any other kind of misconduct, right? And so uh, this attorney, Shaw Ring, had contacted the ARDC many years ago, I think it was back in 2017, and said, hey, you know, you should interpret that rule <clears throat> to ban discrimination uh, by attorneys against people who are trans and non-binary, in addition to, uh, you know, all the other categories listed there. And the reason for that, aside from the fact that it's obviously the right thing to do, but the reason for that is that the courts have said, including the very conservative United States Supreme Court in the Bostic case, which is a fairly recent decision, the courts have said that when Congress outlaws uh, discrimination on the basis of sex, for example, in employment law, right, uh, that includes discrimination against gay people, and it also includes discrimination against people on the basis of sexual orientation, sexual identity, gender expression, and so forth, because discrimination uh, on the basis of sex or gender encompasses discrimination that's based on sex or gender stereotypes. So, for example, in the Basta case, they talked specifically about discrimination against gay people, but not just against gay people, but the idea is that discrimination against gay people is typically based on gender-based stereotypes about what a man should be or what a woman should be, right? And the same thing applies to people who are trans or non-binary. And there's the, the Supreme Court decision is fairly recent, but other courts, including our federal court, the Seventh Circuit, our, our federal court of appeals in Chicago, the Seventh Circuit, have applied this to a number of different contexts, um, including discrimination on the basis of sex in um, college programs, you know, under Title IX. The, the, some courts have said that also protects people from discrimination on the basis of sexual orientation, gender identity, gender expression, and so forth. Um, and so she raised this issue with the ARDC, and they, as I understand it, and I don't mean to characterize the case, but they did not respond favorably. They sort of ignored it. They refused to, you know, just issue guidance that would say, yes, in fact, the rule, uh, the rule of professional conduct that bans discrimination on the basis of sex, among other things, also bans discrimination on the basis of 
orientation. Uh, well, it, it explicitly says sexual orientation, but also bans uh, discrimination on the basis of identity and expression. And so she filed suit, uh, and the suit has been pending for a long time. And my first thought is I just wanted to, you know, express my uh, support and agreement for that. But then today, as it turns out, interestingly enough, on Twitter, she noted that uh, for the first time in this long, drawn-out process, the ARDC finally acknowledges in a, in a pleading they filed in court that Rule 8.4 of the uh, Illinois Rules of Professional uh, Conduct, Professional Responsibility, uh, bars discrimination on the basis of gender identity. And she, she tweeted an excerpt uh, from this court filing, and I just want to read what they say. Um, the defendants, meaning the ARDC and other defendants um, in, in, the, in the Illinois courts, uh, submit that a reasonable interpretation of Rule 8.4J already accounts for gender identity. In other words, they're acknowledging that this rule of professional conduct or professional responsibility, all you know, on its face, because it bans discrimination on the basis of sex, also bans discrimination on the basis of gender identity. Now, you know, it may become more complicated than the, than the way I'm describing it. I don't want to get into all the nuances of it. But, you know, it, it's really a great thing. And hats off to this attorney who's had to deal with just some of the most abusive uh, behavior by, you know, by other lawyers, by people who so are, crazy. you know, who, who are in our profession. Um, there is a, 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 an American Bar Association journal article about this um, lawsuit that I think goes back to um, yeah, October of, of last year. And we'll put a link in, uh, in, the, in the notes of the, on this episode. But, I mean, the kind of uh, abuse that this attorney has been subjected to is really shocking. And totally unacceptable. I mean, even if there hadn't been an explicit rule that covers this kind of misconduct, it, it is highly unethical in a in a you know non-legal sense for people to treat anyone this way. So hats off to Showering. Great work on her part um, for bringing this to light. I don't know exactly where the litigation will go, but um, I certainly intend to follow it. And I just wanted to highlight that, and I was really happy to see today that they finally seem. Yeah, it's a it's a big it's a big step in the right direction. So that's one thing I had on the docket. Another thing uh, that I wanted to chat about, um, or totally off sub of that particular subject, is the fact that last year, last year, last week, <laughs> I don't know what day it is. I don't yeah. know what times. Last week was St. Patrick's Day. Yes, right? Last Thursday. And I saw something really interesting also on, on the Twitters, uh, as we call it. Yes. On the Twitters. Um, there is an Irish singer by the name of Kate O'Reardon who's uh, been around for a long time. She's well known. She's performed with the Pogues, uh, which is one of my favorite um, Irish bands. Uh, in fact, I believe that Kate... O'Riordan and the Pogues are actually currently touring. I think they just played in New Orleans not long ago. I believe they played in New York City. Uh, so they're, they're in the States. If you get a chance to see them, go see them. 
But she uh, she retweeted um, on St. Patrick's Day uh, an Irish hip hop group called Kneecap. Never heard of these guys before. So That's funny. I'm not I'm not vouching for their <laughs> their music. I'm sure it's great. If Kate O'Riordan likes them, I'm sure they're great. But this quote um, on their Twitter account said, or this this tweet said. If you're Irish around the world today, look out for the immigrant, the downtrodden, the oppressed, and those without a voice. And then it goes on to say, and if you see colonialism, smash it with a shillelagh, <laughs> which is great. And then in the, they include in the tweet a picture of an Irish civil rights leader by the name of Bernadette Devlin McAlisky. I hope I'm pronouncing her last name right. I, I've mostly only ever heard of her as Bernadette Devlin. But in any event, she's a fascinating person in her own right. She um, was, uh, I, I think, like 21 years old and decided to run for parliament. She lived in, uh, she's Irish Catholic, but lived in Northern Ireland, lived in Ulster, which of course was and still is part of the United Kingdom. And they have representation in parliament. So she ran and, and won a seat in parliament. And then unlike a lot of the other um, Irish Republican, and by the way, just I'm sure people know this, but when we say Irish Republican, <laughs> we mean people in Northern Ireland who favor uniting the entire island in the Irish Republic, right? So in other words, they want Ulster to join the rest of the Republic of Ireland. It doesn't mean they're Republicans. These days, you have to explain yes. these things, right? FYI. <laughs> But in those days, a lot of Irish Republican politicians would refuse to actually sit in Parliament. If they won a seat, they would abstain, they, you know, in order not to appear to be going along with this arrangement. But her sort of motto was, I'm going to sit and I'm going to fight for your civil rights, which is actually pretty impressive. And she's still alive. Uh, and I recently listened to a, a brief clip of, a, of an interview with her on Irish TV. And she said something really, really cool. The, the, the interviewer asked her, you know, how she got involved in the civil rights movement in Ireland. And she, she said to him, she said, have you ever had an experience of not knowing something until you knew it? And what she was describing is like this process of like, you know, this, this thing of knowing that your rights are being violated, it, how it dawns on you. Like you, you live with it like it's, it's like, you know, like David Foster Wallace would say, it's the water around you. If, if you were a fish, it's the environment that you're in and you don't, you're not aware of it until suddenly you're aware of it. And I thought that was a really cool way to talk about, you know, this sort of awakening that, um, that she went through. But I love, I love that, that tweet from this hip hop group, um, because I think that it just, it makes me think so much. I always say I'm half Irish and all lawyer. <laughs> and because I am half Irish. And it just makes me think so much about my mother's, my sainted Irish mother, as I call her. And, you know, her background and her family. She used to talk about being a kid during the Depression on the North Shore of Chicago in a working class town. And how, um, you know, there, there were in this public park not far from where she lived, she'd walk past on her way to school every day. Itinerant workers would camp out overnight and then during the daytime they'd go look for work. Uh, and this was commonplace all over the country. And she said that, you know, at, at nighttime, sometimes people, usually men, but not exclusively, would come and knock on the 
kitchen door and her parents would, you know, fix them a plate of food. Uh, and to, so like this, this thing about if you're Irish, you should be looking out for the immigrant, the downtrodden, the oppressed, those without a voice. That's kind of, that's how I grew up thinking of being Irish American is you always, you know, it's not just your own experience. It's, it's you always connect with and support everybody in every community who's oppressed. I don't think that that's as commonplace these days among my fellow Irish Americans to feel that way. But I found that really, really uh, moving and I thought it was great. I love that. Yeah. You know, um, if you're interested in this sort of topic generally, there's an Irish historian by the name of Liam Hogan who you can find on social media. He writes a lot about not just about the mistreatment of the Irish, but also about how, unfortunately, sometimes Irish Americans and maybe Irish people in Ireland, uh, you know, unfairly compare the struggle of the Irish with, for example, enslaved people in America. And that's not really an accurate thing, you know. And, and what he talks a lot about is this attitude of, well, you know, my people suffered, but I got over it. So you should too, you know. There, that is an attitude among at least some Irish Americans, and I, it bothers me a lot uh, that attitude because I look at it very differently. I'm, I look at it like, you know, my relatives fled oppression in County Sligo on the northwest coast of Ireland to come to America not to be oppressors but to escape oppression. Right? If they came here and they continued oppression against, say, black folks or LGBTQ people or women or any other you know, group that suffers oppression. If you, if you flee oppression just to practice oppression, I think you kind of lost your soul somewhere along the way. And that, you know, my, my mother's family was very much the opposite of that. Uh, and my mother certainly was very much the opposite of that. They, you know, they viewed that as, I think, sort of integral to the Irish immigrant experience was always, always being on the side of, of the oppressed and so forth. So anyway, uh, um, I thought that was really great. Now I'm going to have to listen to now this. Now we're going to have to listen kneecap, kneecap and see if they're coming to Chicago. They're a hip-hop threesome from a place that I can't pronounce uh, in Ireland because they, on, their, on their Twitter account, they use the Irish uh, name of the, of the place they're from. But anyway, <laughs> that's, that's not helpful. Yeah. <laughs> But it was a it was a great uh, tweet, and I uh, I thought it really made it was an uplifting thing to see on um, on St. Patrick's Day. So that's uh, the second thing I wanted to talk about, and then there's then there's the third thing. The third thing I wanted to talk about today. <laughs> I've got a lot of. <laughs> I got a lot of problems with you people, and now you're going to hear about it. <laughs> Uh, the third thing that I wanted to talk about is something that I saw a lot of people on the on social media um, uh, going off on over the past few days. There was this, how shall I describe it, train wreck of an editorial in the New York Times on, on Friday, uh, on Friday the 18th. Um, the headline was, America has a free speech problem. 
Now, you have to understand, this is not some third party who wrote a letter to the editor or a, an op-ed column and they published it. It's this the New is, York Times. This is the New York Times editorial board. And I, I'm just going to read, that they on Twitter, they lifted a key quote out of the, uh, the op-ed. And I'm going to read this, and I'm going to ask you to just let this sink in. Just bathe in the absurdity of this comment. <laughs> it says, and I quote, Americans are losing hold of of a fundamental right as citizens of a free country, the right to speak their minds and voice their opinions in public without fear of being shamed or shunned. Let that last part sink in. The New York Times, the paper of record as they call themselves, the newspaper of record, thinks that free speech means you're supposed to be able to say whatever you want and no one can, quote unquote, shame you or shun you for it. I have a, 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 there's a guy I've followed for ages on, on, um, on Twitter uh, named William Wolfram, if, if you're familiar with, he's got a pretty popular following. Um, and he responded, he said, at, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing him, but basically it was, at no point in history, Anywhere on the on the face of the earth has the right to free speech included the right not to be shamed or shunned <laughs> for what you say. It's it's so patently absurd. And the beauty of it is within the actual article, they they basically acknowledge the absurdity of it. Later on in the column, they say, of course, you know. We're seeing here. I'll just read the quote again. I'll just read another quote from it because I, it's better than paraphrasing it. They, they, the op-ed goes on to say the world is witnessing firsthand in Vladimir Putin's Russia the strangling of free speech through government censorship and imprisonment. And then they add that is not the kind of threat to freedom of expression that Americans face. Well. I was going to use the, uh, a phrase that begins with the word no and ends with the word Sherlock, but <laughs> we don't curse on this show. So, I mean, of course it's not when, you know, when people criticize one another for the dumb things they say, of course that has nothing to do with government censorship. Ironically, of course, there is some real live government censorship in America. We have Republicans all over the country sponsoring bills to ban books to prevent teachers from teaching certain aspects of American history, to keep, you know, to prevent teachers. We talked about last, the last couple of episodes about the law in Florida where teachers are not gonna be able to talk to younger kids about the mere fact that gay people exist in the world. You know, that's censorship. That's government action preventing people from saying things, preventing children from learning things. That's censorship, kids. So in reality, we are facing a lot of that in America, but it's not people giving you a hard time for saying dumb stuff on Twitter, right? Right? <laughs> right? And you know, then people are going to reply, "Well, the New York Times said you can't say that." Right? To me. <laughs> right? 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 And I, I always think of this quote. So, so there's the this, the great uh, liberal uh, Supreme Court justice of the past of the of the Warren Court, William William Brennan, described the free speech or the 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 First Amendment, I guess, is, you know, protecting, I think the phrase he used was uninhibited, robust, wide open debate. Uninhibited, robust, and wide open. Now, if that doesn't include people telling you off 
when they think you said something dumb. I don't know what I mean. What else is what else is it if 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 uninhibited, robust, wide open debate doesn't mean if somebody says something stupid, you have every right to say, hey, you're an idiot for saying that stupid thing. Right. I mean, that's like the heart of the First Amendment. It's not I can stand up on a soapbox and speak and then everyone just quietly sits there and listens. And that seems to be like this prevailing attitude. And it's not just a right wing thing, although this was a heavily right wing editorial. It's not just a right wing thing. It's it's everywhere these days. There, there's this, you know, this whole thing when people talk about quote unquote cancel culture. There's this idea today that certain people get to speak and everybody else has to shut up and listen. And that's like never been what the First Amendment has right. been about, right? So so this was my suggestion when you based upon what the New York Times says. Everybody should write a letter to the editor or a, a, a proposed op-ed or whatever. Write something down, submit it to the New York Times, submit it to the Washington Post, whatever it is. Write it, send it in. When they refuse to publish it, because they can't publish everything that people say, then you say, oh, you're, you're censoring me. You're depriving me of a platform. Then you go on Twitter, see, and you complain about cancel culture. And by the way, any stupid, alliterative two-word hashtag should embarrass people. But okay, people use that phrase, cancel culture. Right. Go on Twitter and complain about it. Then they'll have to come and interview you because that's what they do. If somebody complains about being canceled, then they stick a microphone in your face and or, or they you know interview for their paper. So that's how you get your voices heard. Submit a manuscript. They'll reject it. Complain about being canceled. Voila. Right. Anyway, it was so embarrassing. And, and all Friday and Saturday and Sunday, all I could see on, on Twitter was people just absolutely roasting them. And then other people, the, the, the usual suspects, you know, indignantly defending them for reasons that they could not articulate at can't all. Can't put a finger on it. But. Can't explain why they were right. But anyway, I, I, it's, it's just embarrassing. You must be so embarrassed. <laughs> yeah, really, really. Uh, <laughs> But so it makes me think a lot about something we had talked about before, the way, you know, everybody wants to, to sort of constitutionalize everything, right? So I have a right to say whatever I want. And then if you criticize me or complain about me or you don't want to do business with me or whatever, then I say, oh, no, you're violating my constitutional rights. Well, you don't have the constitutional right to have people not react to what you're saying, you know. I saw um, there is a, a, a libertarian um, person <laughs> named Megan McArdle that, that for some reason people seem to think she's a, a genius. But she said something about how, well, if I don't think that trans, you know, uh, trans women should be able to compete with cisgender women in sports and, and I risk getting fired for saying that, Am I, you know, is am I just whining about criticism or is that actual censorship? And I'm like, well, no, if someone's actually if the government is actually threatening to fire you because you take a position on trans athletes, get back to me. Right. But not only is that not happening, people are not being fired. And certainly the government isn't firing people for that sort of thing. 
We have actual members of Congress and uh, state legislatures, legislators who are drafting bills to do exactly that, to ban trans athletes from playing sports. So not only is no one getting fired for it, people in power are actually based, you know, passing laws based on this thing that you claim no one can say without being quote unquote censored. Anyway, that's my rant for the day. But I just, I, I, I was really enjoying the, the extent to which they were getting roasted and also enjoying watching people struggling to try to defend it and getting so mad about it too. <laughs> it's like, well, I'm sorry to tell you, sometimes you're just wrong. Yeah. Um, no coming back from that one. By the way, Will Bunch, uh, who writes for the Philadelphia Inquirer, wrote a, a good a piece on this uh, New York Times, um, uh, this, ter- <laughs> this terribly bad, poorly reasoned New York Times editorial. So check out, uh, check out Will Bunch's uh, column on the subject. So those are my rants. I think I've talked nonstop for almost <laughs> half hour. I'm sorry to get, let you get a word in edgewise. That's okay. It was, I learned some new stuff too. <laughs> <laughs> uh, next time, it's all you. Okay, you you have the to. floor. You get to say the whole thing. But uh, we're running out of time. So thanks for listening tonight. Thanks for listening. You can... You can listen to our podcast wherever you um, download or listen to podcasts. As the kids say. As the kids say. Uh, yes, you can. And, uh, you know, if you have any thoughts on anything uh, that we've talked about or anything else, uh, feel free to leave a comment uh, on, our, on our website. And, uh, of course, if you say anything nasty, then we're going to call up the New York Times and, and, I don't know, they'll write a, another poorly reasoned op-ed. <laughs> anyway... Until next time, uh, be good. Uh, And have a great week. Have a great week. Bye.